Hello, I'm Shelley Quinn, and we welcome you to the Worship Hour. And that's what we're going to do today, is worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, in His Word. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whether you've never walked into a church, or if you've been in church for 30 years, God is calling you. Do you hear Him? Today, we are going to look at scriptures so we can understand how to recognize the call of God. This is actually a three-part series, but it is a standalone teaching. What I mean by that is that this first lesson, whether you don't hear the other two or not, it will still have a spiritual blessing for you. I know that when God first gave me this, I was amazed at how it paralleled the three steps to surrender that he had taught me. And those are to know God. Second was to stop and submit, stop resisting his love, stop resisting his plan and submit to his instruction, his direction and his correction. But the third step was yielding to the Holy Spirit. And here's the bottom line. We can't recognize God's call if we don't know God, if we don't understand his character, his immeasurable love for us, his infinite knowledge, and his exceedingly great power. But we also cannot receive God's call unless we stop resisting Stop resisting his love and his plan. Stop resisting and submit to his instruction, his direction and his correction. And then thirdly, we cannot respond to God's call if we don't yield to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus And Father, I thank you for this teaching. You gave it to me. I pray you'll help me deliver it now in a way that people can understand. Oh, Lord, let the Holy Spirit touch our ears, open our ears, and help each one of us to hear and recognize your call. We thank you. We praise you. We're so grateful for your love and your plan of salvation by grace, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin with Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is perfect for this because in Isaiah 6, we see Isaiah recognizing God's call, receiving God's call, and responding to God's call. So let's look at that. In the year that King Uzziah died. This is Isaiah 6.1. And let me just say this. With the death of the king and the rise of the opposing power, the nation of Assyria, this created a time of great crisis. There was great peril in the land of Judah. So in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah was a man of God. He was in the 
earthly temple and he was worshiping the Lord. But as he pressed into the presence of the Lord, God expanded his vision of who he is to Isaiah. And you know, as he saw the robe that was uh, filling the temple, what God was showing That was a symbol of his authority and his power. And he was reminding Isaiah that no matter what happened, God was still in control. No matter what happened on earth, and we need to remember that, Isaiah saw the Lord high and exalted. And here's what I want to say about that. When the powers of darkness start closing in on us, what we need to do It's like Isaiah did, press into the presence of the Lord so that we can take a closer look at him. God is inviting us to come to his throne of grace so that we can have peace in our heart. In Isaiah 6 and verse 2, he says, Above it, above this throne, stood the seraphim, those are angels, Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. The seraphim covered their eyes because they couldn't look upon the brilliance of God's glory. And they covered his feet. I would think that was showing submission. Verse 3, one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. This threefold declaration of God's holiness shows his perfection in holiness. And you know what holiness means? It simply means to be separated from sin. God is completely separated from sin. He cannot sin. As a matter of fact, the reason that we can't stand before the Lord without the robe of Christ's righteousness is love consumes sin. That's why the Bible says God is a consuming fire. If we stood in front of him in our own rags of righteousness, it would just be, would be consumed. But it says then in verse 4, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was Filled with smoke, there was a radiant cloud of his Shekinah glory. So this is interesting. Here's a man of God in the temple of God. And when he gets this expanded vision of who God is, he says, Woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, it's interesting. When you see somebody who's like, I'm holier than thou, I know they haven't been close to the Lord. Because the closer we come to the Lord and we're in the brilliance of his light, the more we see our spotty characters, the more we recognize our own sinfulness. I say I was a good man, but he says later in Isaiah 64, 6, that 
our righteousness as human. It's like filthy rags before the Lord. And then in verse 6, he says, One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. What is happening here? This is symbolic, figurative language. I don't think he took a real coal and put it on his lips. But God is responding to Isaiah's confession of iniquity. God is cleansing him and preparing him to receive and respond to the call that God had for Isaiah. He had a mission for Isaiah. And then in verse 8, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And when he heard that, spontaneously, Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. He had seen the Lord. You know, God is asking that question today. It's a question. When he asked Isaiah, he didn't say, Go, do this. He was waiting for Isaiah to respond with love, motivated by love. God never forces us to take a step. He won't even force you to accept salvation by grace through faith. God woos us with his love. When Isaiah saw God in a different light, his heart was filled with increased knowledge. You've got to know God to recognize his call. And his heart was completely humbled because he realized who he was, who he is, a heart. And and his heart was touched when God said, who shall we send for us? Isaiah recognized that there are people who are lost and suffering because they don't know God. And he recognized God's call for help on the earth without hesitancy. He received God's call, knowing that if he yielded to God's leading, God would use him in a mighty way. So recognizing his call, we've got to know God. And that's what I hope today to do today is that we will expand your vision of who God is because we have to know God to receive or recognize his call. We've got to stop and submit to him to receive his call. And we have to yield to the Holy Spirit to truly respond to God's call. I have to say something that I want to apologize up front because I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. Please don't take this wrong, what I'm about to say. Few Christians are totally surrendered. It takes total surrender to respond to God's call. And that's not a judgmental statement. It's just an observation. You know, A.W. Tozer said that He was a great writer, and he said, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the 
early Christian church after the day of Pentecost, 95% of what the church was doing would have stopped. But then he goes on to say, if the Holy Spirit were totally withdrawn from today's church, 95% of what we do would continue on. What's he saying? He's saying we're not following the lead of the Holy Spirit. We don't allow him to control our conduct, our character. Sometimes we busy ourselves with Christian service, but we have no real prayer life, no intimate relationship with the Lord. Some people feel defeated and they feel like they've hit a wall. I tell you what, I remember, don't think you're alone. We all go through these times. I remember once when I've been running after God and all of a sudden one day I woke up and realized, whoops, what's happened? And I felt like I'd hit a wall and I said, Lord, explain this to me. And what the Holy Spirit impressed upon my mind is I will soon explain the wall of resistance that you are hitting. And I thought, yes, yes, that's just exactly. I felt like I was up against the wall and there was a, something was resisting. And then it took a couple of weeks of seeking the Lord. But you know what I finally was impressed upon my mind was this. The wall of resistance that you are hitting is a wall of self-preservation. Did you hear that? The wall of resistance that we hit when we are going forward in the Christian life is a wall of self-preservation. See, the more we give up of self, the more we're emptied of self, the more we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But there are times we can be walking with the Lord in certain ways. Ah, as long as he doesn't get over in this area of our life. There's that self-preservation. I want to keep this. And that's what stops us. You know, some people are just lukewarm, carnal Christians. They play church. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that surrenders me or hinders me? Let me repeat that. What is it that hinders me from total surrender? What is it? When we look to God, I remember I had my own Isaiah moment. I was, God had, I was praying for a couple of hours every day and I was pressing into the presence of the Lord and I heard or recognized the call of God on my life. He expanded my vision of who he was. The more I was in the word, the more I was praying and communicating with God. He expanded my vision. And for the first time in my life, I felt accepted. I felt loved. And what happened was I stopped resisting his love his plan, and I decided, yep, this is God calling me, and I 
completely turned away from my former way of life. I learned to yield to the Holy Spirit. And I wish I could sit here and tell you that I walk yielded, totally surrendered every day. I don't think any of us do. I think it's something we're walking, a goal we're walking toward. But then on the other hand, there's times that I feel like I'm doing service for the Lord. I'm studying. And maybe I didn't pray to be yielded. And at the end, I'm going, Lord, was I following your lead? And I realize, yes, I was. Because I look at what I've produced and I realize, you know what? Only God could have done this through me. So God will, he's calling us. He will use us despite our shortcomings. Let's look at recognizing his call. The idea of talking about knowing God in such a short period of time. I've been studying now since I started really studying. It's been over 20 years. And I learned something new about God and his character every day. But what I'm going to do is just give you a few scriptures that will be like a silhouette of God because I think there's three important things to understand about God to recognize his call on your life. And the first of that is to know God's infinite love, his immeasurable love. Jesus said in John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, this isn't an intellectual knowledge. I've met people that know a whole lot about the Bible, but they don't have a living fellowship with God. When When it's talking this word, no, this is like, The intimacy between a husband and a wife. They knew each other. God is calling us into an intimate, loving relationship. And when you understand how much God loves you, let me tell you something. You're going to fall in love with him. You can't help but respond to his love. And in 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love him. Because he first loved us. God wants to be your father. Your Abba. Your daddy. I, We just, a dear friend of ours had a funeral service this weekend. He was in his 70s. He was a man of God. And he always called God his daddy. He had been the prodigal son. He'd been in ministry, turned away, returned. But he said, God never left him, not for one minute through it all. So when we think of 1 John 4.19, we love God when we understand how much he loves us. He wants to be your Abba. He knows the number of hairs on your head. The Bible says that he captures your tears in a bottle. He's recording every sorrow that you go through. Your name, you are tattooed on his hands. So if we don't understand his love, we will never totally surrender. 
1 John 4, 8 says God is love. That is his, the core of who he is. It's not just emotional. God is holy because God is love. And as I said, love consumes sin. He manifests his love to us by coming from heaven. Get this. God came down from heaven to become a man. He condescended to become a man and to fulfill his plan of the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth. I'll tell you, if you can get this in your mind, and I'm getting out of order here, but if you could get it in your mind, what God sacrificed for you to become a man and to die for us, I praise God every day for what he has done for us. And what he's showing us is that salvation is by grace. And let me tell you, it was so in the Old Testament and in the New. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11:7 is talking about Noah who built the ark, who was warned divinely of the things that had never happened before. And listen to what it says, Hebrews 11:7. It says, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household because he's moved by godly fear. And then it says his actions condemned the world who would not believe. But here's the point. Noah became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. What does that word righteousness mean? Righteousness means to be in right standing with God, to do things his right way. But it comes to us by faith. You know, God never changes. He says in Malachi 4, 6, I'm the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So trust me, we don't have time today, but I'm doing deep Bible studies. It has always been God's plan to save his people by grace. My mother growing up, uh, my poor mother, She saw God as two different beings. She looked in the Old Testament and she saw God as being angry. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. God wasn't angry in Jeremiah when he was warning through the prophet. He was trying to get his people to repent. But I grew up looking through that lens. I had a love affair with Jesus. But I was scared to death of the Father because I thought he was watching me, ready to zap me the second I did something wrong. And then one day as I was reading Hebrews 1.3, I realized it says that Jesus is exactly like the Father. He's the imprint. He is the outraying of the glory of God. So as loving as Jesus was, So is the Father. As loving and as compassionate as Jesus is, so is the Father. In the Hebrew, I found a word, because sometimes people say, ah, grace isn't in the Old Testament. Yes, it is. But there's something even better. There's a Hebrew word. We talk about it 
agape love, grace. There's a Hebrew word that's used over 250 times about God. It's hesed. H-E-S-E-D. All throughout the Old Testament, it's talking about God's steadfast love. It's his loving kindness, his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness, his devotion, his generous generosity, his patience, his loyal love. It's a word that you cannot translate into English in one word. And you know, it's interesting to me. His love is not a feeling. God expresses his love by doing. In Psalm 136, 1, it says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. That word mercy means said. It means his steadfast love, his patience, his loyalty. It's translated in the English standard version as his steadfast love endures forever. One of my favorite scriptures. If you want to get a good picture of God, Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God, this is his covenant name, Jehovah. Your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. Now get this, we know he's a savior, but let me ask you, do you see the way, do you see God the way he's about to be described right here? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Is that how you see God? God wants a very intimate, personal father and child relationship. And you know, when we come to him, you know, if a father sees a child fall down and bang up his knee, what does he do? He doesn't go over and scold the child. He picks the child up, bandages his knee. He helps him to overcome so that he won't stumble again. That's God. And he quiets him with his love. He sings over him with rejoicing. That's what God does with us. If you don't see God this way, I hope you'll pray and ask him, Lord, Open my eyes, open my heart, that I may see who you really are. Help me to know you're singing over me, Lord, with rejoicing. In John 15, 12 through 14, Jesus says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And let me tell you something. There is no greater love than For God, who established the penalty for sin, which is death. But all along, he planned on coming and paying that penalty. There's no greater love than what our God has done for us. He says in verse 13, John 15, 13, Greater love has no man than this, 
than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. You know, we think of a a mother who will lay down her life for her child. Maybe we think of the secret service, a man who will take a bullet for the president. Or we might think of a captain who will throw himself over a grenade to save his troops. God did much more than taking a bullet or falling on a grenade for us. When he came down from earth, he became one of us. That is so amazing. And the love of God 